0: Okay, we are now joined by Tate Lutz. She is the Director of Marketing for the French Oil Mill Machinery Company. Um, Tate, thank you so much for joining us on the Rust Belt Rundown podcast. Um, We're excited to have you.
1: Excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So we're excited to jump into everything that is French oil and the amazing background and experience that you have within the manufacturing field. But before all that, want to, um, you know, give you the opportunity to talk through a little bit, um, go back a couple years, talk through your, um, you know, your schooling, you went to Tulane, and then you moved up to New York City. Um, One, what made you choose Tulane? Very unique place to go to school, amazing place to go to school, for sure. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah. And then then you moved into the retail space. So uh, talk us us through that uh, early career journey.
1: Sure. So French oil is a family business, um, and we produce highly engineered equipment. Um, And so my dad wanted me to be an engineer, and I did not have a passion to be an engineer. Um, And so as I was looking through colleges, he was sort of pushing schools with good engineering schools, and I was looking at schools that were more small liberal arts, um, or that had business degrees or marketing degrees or things like that. so when I was applying to schools, a lot of the schools I applied to had good engineering programs, which Tulane does, um, but I wound up in their business school. So that was sort of how that became on the docket. And then um, I got in, which obviously is a useful uh, way to go to school. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I actually didn't even go visit it before oh, I applied. Wow. Um, okay. I didn't go visit it till after I got in. And actually, I had a high school classmate that was a year ahead of me that was at Tulane. And so went down, um, stayed with her, fell in love with New Orleans. And um, it's it an easy fun.
0: place to fall in love with. That's it sure. is,
1: it is. We had, I had a really good time. I graduated in four years with no breaks and never got arrested. So I call, <laughs> that, I call that a win. And <laughs> right. I had a job when I graduated. So, you know, I hit, I checked all the boxes.
0: Um, I had a good time is,
1: in the process. <laughs>
0: yeah, That is success right there. Um, I always yeah. like asking too, Uh, What was your second choice if it wasn't Tulane? Where do you think you would have gone?
1: Um, Well, based on um, where I'd gotten into school, it was University of Rochester, New York. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: um, But
1: Princeton had been my like my aspiration and top school, and I applied early and you know didn't didn't quite make the cut. But
0: got it. It was a was a big
1: reach, but my dad had gone to Princeton, and it's a beautiful campus. Um, So. You know, it's always good to stretch for the stars.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so you graduate from Tulane. You mentioned you have a job. You move up to New York City and you start working um, at Bloomingdale. So tell us I, how that came about and, and what that job entailed.
1: Sure. So the CFO of Bloomingdale's at the time was a Tulane graduate. So they recruited heavily at Tulane. Um, and I had no intention of moving to New York. Um, I had previously actually done a summer study in New York and great city, but I just felt like it was a little big. Um, I did a class at the Tisch School of um, Arts in New York and one of them was careers in photography, because I was a photography minor and a a marketing major. And so that class was really neat and it sort of took college students all through different jobs in New York that involved photography. um, And realized, you know, being a photographer was not going to give me the lifestyle that I wanted. Um, But Had through that program gone through some ad houses um, and figured that I would end up in a job doing um, ad sales or or buying of some kind. Um, But when Bloomingdale's um, came to recruit at Tulane, a buddy of mine said, You know, you should go, just go take the interview, go do it. And so I did and um, fell in love with the person who interviewed me and um, the opportunity to sort of go into the retail space um, and was able to you know, secure that and get the job. And so I actually, I think I started on September 11th, 2002, which was an interesting time to start a job in New York City. There were some nerves involved with that, as you can imagine. Yep.
0: Um, But it was a
1: great experience and obviously a safe day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so explain what in that space in that industry what a buyer and a planner does for because bloomingdale's is a conglomerate i mean right <laughs> there's a lot going on so what does that really mean
1: there is a lot going on so they have a buyer training program in their buying office which is in manhattan um, just five blocks south of the bloomingdale's headquarters flagship store right. and so basically i mean the buyers decide what products go in the stores so um, I wound up in the ready-to-wear space, which was sort of women's brands of um, Eileen Fisher, DKNY, Tahari, um, you know Dana Buckman, which is no longer in business, and a couple brands like that. Um, and so we would go to the vendors, the the clothing suppliers, and see what they had to offer, and decide what items we thought the Bloomingdale's customer wanted to buy. Um, and then through that, the planner sort of helps to say, all right. X percent of our sales is sweaters and x percent of our sales is pants and x percent of our sales is in size 12 and x percent in size four and so if you have a budget of x amount of money you need this many sweaters this many pants this many shirts and this is the sizing breakdown that you need in the stores um, and even so much to say that the customer in manhattan buys differently than the customer in florida buys differently than the customer in california and therefore you can put the tube top in Manhattan and the leather jacket at $900. You cannot put that in, you know, like suburbs of Chicago. You're not going to sell, you know, the pink sparkly tube top or whatever the item is. (laughs) And so there's a lot of analytics that goes behind deciding what goes in the stores.
0: um, Yeah. That's
1: sizing of what goes in the stores.
0: Yeah. I mean, in a way it's like, you guys have so much influence in terms of the actual product that people get or want to Complete get
1: influence. I mean, obviously you can only buy what's being made yep. uh, unless you're in private label on which point you are creating product, but um, yeah, completely. We made all the decisions of what went into the stores. And then, so I did, uh, I was an assistant buyer and a senior assistant buyer in the ready to wear space. So in the clothing space, and then when I moved into the planning side, which is sort of just the, the hierarchy that one does, Um, I wound up in the cosmetic department, um, somewhat just because that was the job that was available. And even within Bloomingdale's, you interview for your next promotion and role. Um, and so there was a space available and I interviewed and wound up as the planner of men's fragrance, um, assistant planner actually, and then moved into the planning role of women's cosmetics and fragrance. So like all the fragrances and then also brands, skincare brands like Art of Shaving and Kiehl's and. Um, brands like that.
0: Got it. so you mentioned DKNY uh, Mm -hmm. earlier. So after Teendales, you transitioned to them. What was your role at DKNY?
1: Sure. So I was um, an account manager, which meant that I sold the DKNY clothes to the department stores. So basically it was the exact opposite function of what I had done as in the buying office. I was then selling the collection to the department stores. Um, So I sold the collection to Macy's, um, worked with Nordstrom. Um, I actually was also the account manager then for the DKNY stores because that sort of run differently and um, they have their own buyers to decide what goes in the DKNY stores sort of, you know, just like Bloomingdale's does even though it's the same brand. Got it. Um, and then I also did some analytic work there as well in terms of what sells, what goes, you know, how much product people need, yeah. et cetera.
0: Which side did you like being on more?
1: Um, I would, I I sort of hate to say that <laughs> to, to announce this. The the culture is completely different in both, um, and they were both great to experience. Um, Bloomingdale's is a was a great company to work for. It was a great starting ground and a, a great way to build a career. But it was really neat to see the opposite side of that as well with DKNY and see, you know. Because at Bloomingdale, we saw the product once it came to us, and then working for the vendor side, we got to see more how the product gets created. You're working with the designers, um, the sourcing of the fabrics, et cetera, to see then how it gets created. So um, they were both great experiences and nice to be able to see sort of, you know, the full circle. The
0: full circle. Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Um, So how long were you in New York for? 10 years. Wow. And where, um, I know this is a bit off track, but where did you live?
1: So uh, when I first moved to the city, I lived on the Upper East Side um, nice. with a friend who I'd gone to Tulane with, um, and then moved into a single by myself, just ten blocks south or something like that, and then ultimately moved to Hoboken, New Jersey, oh,
0: nice. um, after
1: I met my husband. We were sort of ready to get a little bit out of the city, have some more space, yep. um, and it was nice to look at the city from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that <laughs> yep. was good. For so them. I.
1: I thought I'd be there for a year and I was there for 10, but it was a great be. experience.
0: New York, yeah. to you. Um, okay, awesome. So let's jump into French oil. I think even before, sure. I definitely want to talk about the transition and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know working within a family company, the family dynamics, but yep. for people that are completely unfamiliar with um, your brand and your company, what is French oil? What do you guys do? And, and tell us a little bit about the history about it.
1: Sure, so the company is a fourth generation family owned um, business based in Pickle, Ohio, which is about 30 miles north of Dayton. And uh, it was started by my great grandfather in 1900. Um, And we make large capital equipment. So we make um, oilseed equipment that is um, flakers and rolling mills and um, extraction equipment that get the oil out of oilseed. So when people hear French oil, some people are thinking, polymers or gasoline, it's actually, uh, the company was based on extracting oil out of things like canola, um, peanuts. Um, And so we still do make that line of products. Um, And at some point, the oil seed equipment um, transferred their technology or the the use of their technology from instead of using a a screw process to get the oil out of the seeds, they started going into solvent extraction, which uses hexane to get the oil out of of the Mm -hmm. seeds. Um, And we had that technology as well, but we said, we're still really good at, we have all these designs of these screw press machines, what other industry can we apply them for? Um, And so we moved into the um, rubber business because those same types, I mean, obviously there was some engineering adaptation, but those same sort of types of machines can be used to get dewater rubber in the process of making synthetic rubbers. Um, and I should backtrack a little bit, even in the, the first onset of the company when we, they were first pressing the oil out of the seeds um, before the, using the screw press technology. And same sort of thing when it adapted to the screw press technology said, so we can make hydraulic presses. What else can we use the engineering for and the hydraulic presses for? And they can be used to mold and cure rubber and composite materials. So we also have the hydraulic press line that's used mostly for Uh, molding, rubber, and composite at this point, but it can also be used for laminates, plastic cards, um, and a variety of other specialty materials.
0: Got it. Okay. And you started, when did you make your transition from the retail space back to the family business?
1: Sure. So um, that was never part of the plan. (laughs) Um, My dad actually was really great. And I think my grandfather had this same um, thought process was that we were not allowed to come into the business know without doing something else first Um, my dad wanted us to get work experience outside of the business Um, one just to see how other businesses operated to do something for ourselves that we chose to do um, and to be managed by someone who wasn't family um, and learn business outside otherwise which was one of the best things that he could have done and i really admire that that was sort of our route because it definitely changes um, how you work and how you think about work and how businesses are run, um, especially having a work experience in New York for 10 years, which is, you know, very fast paced and cutthroat. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and so I, I didn't intend to come back into the family business, especially after living in New York. Um, but after I had our first daughter, our first child rather, who is a daughter, um, the hours I was spending in in the retail job working for DKNY and the amount of money we were paying our nanny and sort of the life just, it was a little more grind and a little less family friendly than I wanted at that point in my life. And so I was sort of lamenting this a little bit. And my dad said, well, you know, we could (laughs) use a marketing person. And I said, okay, but you're in Ohio in a small town and I'm in New York. How's this going to (laughs) work? Um, and there was a fair amount of negotiation, believe it or not. And finally, I decided that I would come back, that it'd be the best choice for the family and um, help take the business on. And um, and actually, at that point, too, you know, I wasn't sure if it was just my next stepping stone, or if that was really going to be my future. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit of fear and trepidation and working with family again, it was a big decision and moving from New York to Ohio, back to Ohio was a big decision as well. But was definitely the right the right move
0: so tell me about working i've never done it i don't know if i could do it so i commend you and admire you for it but what are the and and don't get me wrong there's a lot of pros to it as well but what are the pros and cons of working in especially it's one thing if you you're starting a business with family members but you know you guys have been around since the 1900s so yeah it's established um tell me about that the pros and cons
1: So, I mean, obviously every family business is different. One, just because their size, structure, everything is different and people's personalities are different. So, I mean, I can't speak for all family businesses as a whole. Um, Our company, we have about 70 employees at this point um, in Piqua and my father and I are the only two family members um, working in the business full-time every day. Um, so that's also very different than a family business where you have aunts, uncles, cousins, parents, um, there with it just being my dad and I, we don't have the same sort of jockeying that some family businesses struggle with because I'm not competing against my brother. You know, I, I respect the hierarchy of my father, um, which that in itself has its own pros and cons. I mean, it's taken a little bit of time, particularly moving into a business that wasn't something I'd had experience in. I mean, mm-hmm. I worked here in the summers and from the time I was in seventh grade, but that's not like really understanding the business and working in the business. So having to learn the business um, and to sort of then decide when I had enough information to really use my voice, particularly if it might be uh, you know, something different than what my father's thinking, um, you know, it takes a little time to sort of develop that dance. And um, for the most part, the, pro, the pros completely outweigh any sort of negatives. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be truthful if I said we've never butted heads, yeah. or there wasn't, you know, ever a time where I was really frustrated and then You know, I tell my husband and he wants to get defensive with me. (laughs) (laughs) If it's right before Thanksgiving, it's a little harder.
0: (laughs) It's very hard to like leave the office and then turn that hat, take that hat off and then put on father daughter hat. And that's tough.
1: Yeah. I mean, we do it incredibly well. I (laughs) I feel like I'm very blessed um, in that respect, especially when I hear some other stories from uh, some other family businesses that it's not quite as easy. But again, I think that dynamic really, Um, is benefited by the fact that it's just my father and me and my brother is on our board, but, um, and he brings some really good information to the table and thought processes, but he's not here on a daily basis. So he and I really have sort of no competition from that standpoint.
0: I know when you mentioned competition I was all I could think of was Succession. I don't know if you watched that or are familiar with the show, but um
1: No, multiple people have told me I need to, but I haven't seen it yet.
0: It is it is on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of family businesses and cutthroat competition, but I highly recommend that show, but off topic. So, uh, yep. Succession. Um okay, so let's jump into your role at French Oil, marketing, brand management. Yep. What does mm-hmm. that mean to be in such a, you know, when when a lot of people when they say brands, they think of kind of where where you were like, oh, DKNY or Adidas, or that's what they think of brands. You're in a very niche specific industry. When you got here, what was like the the big first project or what were some of your big things that you had to start focusing on in terms of marketing and brand management? Um,
1: When I first started, there had not been a designated marketing person in the company uh, for quite some time. So the first thing was really just you do a complete sort of overhaul on our on our look and on our branding so the brochures looked very dated the design of them looked very dated the website was looking dated um, our advertisements were looking a little dated so the the first main project was uh and and our trade show materials um was to to get a new look and feel for all of that uh have that all look a little more modern so that took quite some time um and to establish some better relationships um, with the publications that are in our space. And so that working with more PR and getting our name out there uh, more in those aspects. Um, And also right when I started, we had engaged with an outside company about search engine optimization um, because we were way down on the pages on Google. And so finding new customers through the website wasn't something that was happening that frequently. Um, We're blessed that a majority of our business comes from existing customers um, and obviously we try to foster those customers because they are very important to us and they're what keep us all here and working every day but um, you know who doesn't want new business too
0: so, yeah, of so we
1: work on that as
0: well got it um, okay so you mentioned the overhaul of the brand the new look and feel what other strategies and tactics in terms of the marketing I know I, I was reviewing the blog I saw a bunch of videos on the site What other tactics have you guys used over
1: the years? Sure, so um, I'm a one-person team. Um, We have an assistant who helps, (laughs) yeah, it's true. (laughs) We have have an assistant who helps a little bit. Um, She's very creative in terms of, um, good with creative. So she's actually made some of the last couple videos. Um, But yeah, so I mean, as you said, it's the blog, um, it's social media, and each social media channel has a very different audience. Yep. Um, and what that works for us um, it's even everything from workforce development and promoting the manufacturing industry as a whole um, you know as Rust Belt knows there's a skills gap um, and so a lot of manufacturing employees are getting to retirement age or have already retired and there is not the next crop of skilled workforce and manufacturing to to take on these jobs um, and I mean particularly not of course with 30 years of experience I mean Um, And so we even do a lot with the school systems um, and the schools to try to promote manufacturing careers as a whole. So um, the marketing, you know, is very widespread in terms of customers, trade shows, website, social media, print ads, um, PR, workforce, manufacturing as a whole, sort of you name it, we're working on it.
0: Yeah, you you definitely wear a, a ton of hats as I can imagine and and probably things too especially in a family business that you can't even too many things to name. So, I understand yeah. that. Um yeah. you mentioned the partnership with local school systems. Tell us about that. What does that entail? Who's teaching it? Wait, how does how does that work?
1: Sure. So, we've been doing student tours for I would say at least 40 years. Oh, wow. um, and we Great. are a school business partner with the local intermediate school um, and we for the most part at this point, work with the fifth graders. Uh Um, And that actually, the School Business Partnership Program is something that um, I believe it was the city who started it, I'd say a good 20 years ago. Hmm. Um, And so we meet with the school at the beginning of the year. As you can imagine, what we're doing this year is very different than what we've done sort of traditionally forever. So with our partnership with the schools, um, that's everything from Um, we host a COSI on Wheels STEM assembly event. Um, And so someone from, for those who aren't familiar with COSI, it's a science museum, uh, Children's Science Museum in Columbus, they come in and do an assembly. And so um, we try to promote STEM wherever we can. So whether we are buying something for their makerspace or um, magnifying glasses or, um, you know, things that sort of help, the kids get excited about science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, We do have the students come tour. We've participated in manufacturing day for seven or eight years. Um, We have kids come tour the facility, everything from fifth grade to junior high, high school, and even the machining program um, at the Upper Valley Career Center. Um, We do a video series with the school called Where in the World is French? And so because we have customers in over 80 countries and our employees are traveling around the world, um, we ask our um, employees to take pictures and video of our customer's facilities, you know, within permission and reason, of course, um, and what the cities look like. And um, we put together these video presentations of what, you know, what doing business in other countries sort of looks like and even what the people look like because some of these students um, you know wouldn't know where Czechoslovakia is on a map or what kind of food they eat when we talk about the currency and the language um, and maybe some of the differences of doing businesses in those countries and then what our customers are doing in those
0: countries. That's great.
1: Just to sort of give like a full range um, of experience and a view of what careers look like um, just down the street from them.
0: Yep that's awesome um, that's a great partnership. Yeah
1: um, it is. We have um, employees who are mentors to some of the students. I mentor a fifth grade um, girl and we have some other yeah, cool. uh, employees and engineers who do, it's, you know, somewhat like a big brothers, big sisters program um, at the school. Of course, we're doing them all on zoom now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The new normal, um, as they say.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, as with everything.
0: Yeah. So awesome. we
1: participate in diversity day at the school, you know, at just a number of different ways that we can support them. Oh, and we, um, we, do Jeans Friday. So every Friday, employees can wear jeans into the office if they pay $5 um, and all of that money gets donated to the schools. It's usually used for a um, multi-day science field trip. Um, And it's one of the first times that some of these students get away um, from their parents and, you know, get to spend the night somewhere else and have no technology for a couple days and get to experience, you know, some independence and things on their own. And of course, That's different this year too, (laughs) but we sponsor some scholarships for those programs.
0: I love the no technology part. I I would sign up for something like that. So I could could take some
1: hikes, no phones, no video games. Yes, We could all use that little retreat.
0: (laughs) That sounds good to me. Um, Okay. So you're a champion for women in manufacturing. Uh, Minority second chance hires. There's a lot of opportunity to get more manufacturing workers through the door with targeted recruitment efforts. Yep. What are your thoughts on that?
1: As many people as you can get interested in manufacturing, do it. <laughs> I,
0: mean, and we... I, I think you're right. you're spot on with doing it at a young age.
1: Mm-hmm. So instead
0: of being 18 and just learning about it, yes. being 11, 12 yes.
1: and about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's important for students to know what sort of jobs are available in their backyard um, and that, you know, it's not dark and dingy and dangerous and scary, um, that you can make a good living, particularly, you know, I mean, obviously there's everything from uh, straight out of high school with a little bit of skill type jobs that we offer everything to, you know, needing an engineering degree, a four-year engineering degree or finance degree or whatever. So obviously we and employ people with a range of, of skills and um, education. And it's good for students to know what those sort of options are um, in their backyard. And we've done open houses as well to try to have parents see what the jobs are as well because yep. as much as we can talk to the students, you know, the parents are a lot of times the people sort of making suggestions or understanding what they want their kids to do with good reason. Um, and so it's good to get the parents in as well and have them see what the opportunities are.
0: Yep. Agreed. Um, so manufacturing, it's an election year. We're not going to yes. down, go down that path. But manufacturing is one of the major topics that always comes up in debates mm-hmm. or on yep. the TV and all that stuff. So um, I just want to get your thoughts on What because you hear different things depending on what you're watching or who you're listening to, even
1: on the same debate,
0: (laughs) yes, even on the same debate. Um, so what is the current state of manufacturing as a whole? You know, I don't know if you want to tackle the whole country or just in the state of Ohio, but um, Mm -hmm. just wanted to get your thoughts on that from someone who is in it who lives it every day.
1: Manufacturing is strong uh, and particularly pre COVID. I mean, I think you know, most industries have taken a bit of a hit with COVID. And so it's somewhat unfair to talk about what the state is on October 21st versus what it was leading up to March or, you know, we shut down right around mid-March. But Ohio manufacturing, I mean, statistically, definitely pre-COVID continued to grow. The wages are growing. The jobs are growing Um, The site selections of people moving into Ohio and making investments and building plants is growing. Our business is growing. Our headcount is growing, Um, even with COVID. um, That being said, obviously a lot of people have taken a hit um, with COVID. Although on the other hand, some businesses, you know, obviously in Ohio, manufacturers were deemed essential workers. So we never shut down. Um, We have not laid any people off. We have been here still working overtime. Um, we wear our masks, we wash our hands, you know, we have our temperature taken every day. We do all the protocols to stay safe um, and it's worked. Um, and so we are still busy and, and still busy. We are seeing, and this even sometimes just happens a little bit in election years, where sometimes are a little reluctant to spend some capital expenditures from a domestic standpoint. Sure. But our international business is still very strong. Um, and we're still very business. I mean, some of our projects, we're looking into 2022 at this point. Wow. Um,
0: awesome.
1: So it's, it's very strong. And I will also say, you know, as you said, we don't want to get into politics too much, but I serve on a government relations committee for the Dayton Regional Manufacturers Association. And we've been doing weekly candidate chats where we are doing Zoom calls um, with someone running for an election um, every week. And we're, we're meeting with Republican candidates and Democrat candidates, some incumbents, some people running for the first time. And we go through with these candidates the top manufacturing issues, because DRMA um, mm-hmm. does a survey every year um, to find out what the top issues are that are facing manufacturers. And so we've had the opportunity weekly to meet with these candidates and say, this is the state of manufacturing. These are the issues that are really concerning us. Um, these are the things that we struggle with as manufacturers. And um, it's been really informative for both the committee and the candidates um, to have a better understanding of, of what issues we face and what's most important to us. Wow. Um, as you can imagine, workforce is the number one issue.
0: Yep. Yep. How important is that? I, I, yeah. I don't know if that happens in every industry, but it, it should. Um, the actual industry itself and the leaders of it informing you know, people in public office what what the truth is, you I commend you for that. Thank uh, you. It's
1: been, it's been a really informative, great um, little series that we've done. And then actually tomorrow, Justices French and Kennedy are coming through French Oil oh, to no. tour, and we're going to get a chance to speak with them and show them the facility as well. No relation to Justice French,
0: just great. Yeah, just, Same yeah. name. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Cool. Okay. Well, two more questions and then we'll get you out of here. This this one I have been waiting to ask because I think it's the coolest thing, but you are a licensed pyrotechnician. True. How did that happen? Okay. Can you do Dayton fireworks on your own? Like how does, what, what does this mean?
1: (laughs) So yes, I, 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 well, I can't do it on my own because I'm a, I'm an assistant, not a, a true technician, but, um, my husband is fifth generation and co-owner of his family's pyrotechnic company that started in 1895 in italy
0: got it Um, okay
1: and he was a banker when i met him in new york and then we both um were from ohio with family businesses so sort of connected on that and then of course we've moved back to ohio and he's working for his family's business and i'm working for mine
0: that's a good Um, story and
1: so i'm sorry
0: that's a great story that's that's crazy
1: it's fun well, and we were set up on a blind date, and the guy who set us up had no idea that we were both from Ohio. <laughs>
0: wow. So that must so have was been a perfect first question. Like, oh, where are you from? Yep, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it
1: was fun. We got to talk about, you know, I think we'd probably gone to like one of the same concerts at some point, sure. you know, somewhere along the line. So it was yeah. fun. But um, so that's how I wound up being a, a pyrotechnician. Um, so, no, I could not do Dayton Fireworks uh, by myself, but I have worked on that show and. Wow. Um, the some of the big shows in cincinnati um and actually rosie does international competitions as well so i've cool. been able to travel with him to spain portugal italy um, let's see canada uh, germany That's and awesome. england to for sh- shows so it's been it's been fun very cool. it's a great way to see the world
0: great way to see the world yeah. it's a lot of
1: work but then when you see the show shoot and then the audience applies. I mean, it's intoxicating. It's yeah, fun. I can imagine.
0: Um, okay. So last question, want to highlight, um, you know, a local favorite, but what is your favorite restaurant? It could be fast food. It could be sit down. It could be whatever you want. Favorite restaurant in the Cincinnati Dayton area.
1: Okay. So, well, I'll give you two. Cause I'll give, well, actually, I feel like I should give a, a restaurant in Piqua um, yeah, a shout out. It. Yep. So in Piqua, my favorite would be Three Joe's, which is the Italian restaurant
0: Three just Joe's. a couple blocks
1: okay. away. Um, we order lunch from there very frequently. Um, great business. Um, and then in Dayton, I would have to say the Pine Club. Okay. Great steaks. Um, and then in Cincinnati, another Italian restaurant called Soto, which is downtown. Um, it was actually the last restaurant I ate at. Um we went there last weekend. Fabulous nice. Italian food. Good wine last well, we
0: Yeah, now we got three restaurants to shut out. So that's great. Uh, that's awesome. Sorry,
1: <laughs> I couldn't keep it to one. Oh. I, I've <laughs> run in too many cities.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um okay, so really quick before we get out of here, where can everybody find you? Like website, social, where should they be following you, all that stuff?
1: Sure, absolutely. So um FrenchOil.com is our website. Um, And then we are also on Twitter, uh, handle is French oil. Um, LinkedIn, I think we're the French oil machinery company. Um, And we are also on Facebook as French oil. So follow us in all different places. Um, We have videos, as you said, on YouTube, um, where you can see our machines running and in action. Um, More history about the company. Um, There's some great interviews with my dad where he talks about our partnership process with our customers. Um, So lots of good content out there. Of course, I'm a little biased, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You should be. It is great content. Um, Awesome. Well, Tate, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, You know, best of luck over the next remaining. I think we're all ready for 2021, but best of luck for the remaining months in 2020. And uh, we'll talk with you soon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.